Let's just actually remain standing. So we're going to continue um, in worship, reading from um, Psalm 47. So I'll, I'll read it out for us. Um, but worship doesn't end once the music stops, right? So let's read. Uh, I'm going to read from Psalm 47. And it says this, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. You can take a seat. Um, I wanted to begin, so we're going to be in Jonah today, uh, but I wanted to begin with Psalm 47, because this is actually, it's kind of a unique psalm. A lot of psalms center around the worship in, in Israel and center around the worship of the Jewish people, but this Psalm 47 proclaims God is the God of the nations proclaims that God is the God over all the earth. And he says, just like the people of the God of Abraham gather to sing, that's the same way that we should expect the people from the nations to gather and sing. And, and that's an, uh, the idea that I want us to keep in the forefront of our mind today, that God is a God desires all people to be saved, and that God is a God not just of specific, exclusive groups, but a God of the nations. All right, so let's go ahead and turn to Jonah 1. And... Um, while you're turning there, I can give you just a little background on Jonah. Um, it might be hard to find because it's, it's a tiny little book. Um, it's, a, it's a minor prophet, and uh, the minor prophets are, there are actually 12 of them, and they are kept together um, in a unit that has a long time been called uh, the minor prophets or sometimes the book of the 12. So even as early as I, I was reading 190 B.C., even before then, these, these minor prophets are all collected together, and, and not always in the same order, but those 12 books, they always go together. So you're never going to find Jonah, random, like a random manuscript of Jonah that's floating around. They're always together, all these books. So that tells us that they're meant to be read together. And even as we read them, we see common themes and common language that's used in, in Jonah and Obadiah and Nahum and all those, those little books that sometimes we forget about. Um, there's common language in all of them and common themes. So, so as we read Jonah today, that's something we got to keep in mind because they're, they're meant to be read alongside of each other. We're, we're supposed to understand Jonah in the context of the other minor prophets and in the context of the book of the Twelve. Um, and, and when we do that, we see that Jonah is actually a really unique book. So it's unique in the way that the story is told. Um, you, can, you can probably pick that out. When you've read prophecies, normally it's, it's like verse, it's like songs, um, but Jonah is a story. So Jonah is a narrative that is here to teach us about God. Um, so the way that I want us to think about Jonah today is, um, is like, almost like a parable of Jesus. So I'm um, not saying that it is a parable or that it, it didn't happen or anything, but just the same way that we read a parable is the way that we're expected to read Jonah. So Because Jonah is a prophetic book. Jonah is a book that is meant to call out some things that are going on in Israel. So just like parables... So you think of the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan, where um, Jesus is giving this parable to 
uh, to leaders in the church, right? He's, he's, he's calling out the sin of the Pharisees and Sadducees of his time. And they're supposed to hear the Good Samaritan and think, oh no, I'm like that person that would walk by and not help that person in need, right? So those parables are meant to call out, are meant to challenge. And Jonah is the same way. Jonah is written in narrative form, and it, it's meant to challenge the people of Israel. So, so it's unique, not just in the way it's told, but also in its message. So what's the message? What is it challenging? Um, it's challenging this idea in Israel that because Israel is God's chosen people, that they have it all figured out. All right, so there is, um, there's this golden age in Israel called the United Monarchy, and that's just when, when they have a king. So when they have um, when Saul reigns, when David reigns, when uh, Solomon, David's son, reigns, that is the golden age. That is the time when God's blessing is just upon them, and they have a king, and you know David is this man after God's own heart. Uh, but after, after that season, you have uh, Israel and Judah. There's like a uh, they're, they're split, and Israel gets taken over, Judah gets taken over. Judah is taken into captivity, and, and just things get really dark after that. And, and the Minor Prophets, all these, a lot of these other books, they have a lot to say about the nations who were enemies of God. So the nations like Assyria, who took over Israel, Nineveh is a city in Assyria. So there's a lot the Minor Prophets have to say about, hey, those nations that took us over, took over the people of God, they're really bad people, and they're going to get judged. So Minor Prophets have a lot to say about that, but Jonah stands as this like little caveat. Jonah's, Jonah's a little different because Jonah, Jonah's told to go preach to Nineveh, right? And, and Jonah, God wants Nineveh to repent. And it's not saying, Nineveh, you're going to get destroyed. It's, it's, I want you to come to me, right? So, so in, in the Minor Prophets, or in Jonah, we see this, this, this caveat, this thing where, okay, Nineveh is unrighteous, but remember, this is God who's merciful, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he wants to see all people come to him. So that's the reason I wanted to start off with Psalm 47 today. That's what I wanted our starting point to be, that God is a God of the nations. So really our main idea today, um, I don't think I have a slide for this, but it is um, that Yahweh's desire, or the God of Israel, I'm going to use that word Yahweh and we'll see why. Um, for humanity's repentance doesn't always match our agenda. So in Jonah's case, this news about God, about the Creator being the God of the nations, that did not match up with what Jonah wanted and Jonah's agenda. So we're going to have three reminders today that are going to help us not be like Jonah and help us get on board with God's mission for the, for the earth. Um, so we're going to start by reading from the first three verses of Jonah, and we're going to have our first reminder here. Um, all right, so it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Uh, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish for the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. All right, so Jonah is given this task. All right, you go to Nineveh, and you're going to speak against the evil that's happening there. And Jonah, unlike our obedient prophets that we've seen, Jonah runs away. 
And this, this, I want us to remember, this is the main idea of Jonah. So a lot of us are very familiar with the story of Jonah, but it's not from reading a book like this. It's from reading a book with really big pages and a lot of pictures, right? We're reading like a children's Bible. Like we know the story, um, but I, I don't want us to lose the powerful message Jonah has um, because we remember just the stuff about the fish, right? So the point here is that God has called him to preach to this, this enemy of the people of Israel, the people of God, and he runs away. Um, so our first point is, is this, that, that God is bigger than we think. That God is bigger than we think. So Tarshish, a lot of, I mean, me included, I don't know if we know the geography of what's happening here, right? So let me just, let me give you a, a, a metaphor or analogy here. Um, where he goes, where he's supposed to go. So let's just say, Jonah, you're from Jacksonville, and I'm calling you to Atlanta, Georgia. And Jonah got a plane ticket to Los Angeles, California. That is, that is what happened. So uh, Joppa, Nineveh are right here on, on, on one side of the Mediterranean Sea, and Tarshish is literally on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. He is going the complete opposite way. This is complete, utter disobedience uh, from this prophet of God. Um, and we need to remember kind of at this time uh, that gods were seen as, as regional. So the common understanding was, well, God is the God of Israel, so he rules over Israel. And these Babylonian gods, they rule over Babylon, and, and so on. So there's part of Jonah that thinks, I'm going I'm to get away. I'm going to get away from God. Like, I'm not, this is going to work. Um, we know that's foolish, right? Because we know, we've read the psalm that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Well, we know, we know that doesn't make sense. Um, but Jonah thought he might actually get away, right? Um, he let that worldly understanding of God maybe creep in and, and shape the way that he saw God. Um, but God is bigger than that. And, uh, and we're, the, the point we're making is that God is bigger. Um, and, and one of those Sunday school applications that we made is, is that you can't run from the presence of God. You can't run from the presence of God. Um, and that is true. And that is true. We should teach that in big church and in children's church. Um, but that's not the point that we're going to hang out on here. Um, you can't run from the presence of God. Whatever you're going through, uh, if you think you have shame and you have sin in your life and you can't uh, come to God's presence, that's not true. If you are trying to avoid something God is calling you to do, you can't do that. God is, God is everywhere and God will keep hounding you. Um, and and that's, a, that's clearly a point, but that's not the point we're going to make today. Um, but I didn't want to minimize that. Um, so when we talk about God being big, I'm not thinking geographically, but we're thinking that God is powerful, that he is sovereign and he's, he's working out these situations in our lives. Um, so I want us to look um, at just some Hebrew real quick in, in these first three verses. Um, not just for the sake of looking at it, but I think it makes a point that's actually kind of funny um, and powerful. Um, so there, is, there are a couple words that we translate as to, T-O, in Hebrew. And, and they're, they're both used in this first section. And one of them means like a definite location, like I'm going to the store. That is where I'm going. I'm going to end up at the store. Another one means more like towards. So I am going towards the back of the sanctuary if I'm walking this way. Um, so what's happening here in, in Jonah is actually every time it talks about the boat going to Tarshish, we're saying that's a definite location. But when we talk about Jonah, 
It says that Jonah's only going towards Tarshish. So do, do we kind of get the point there that even now, um, before the story starts, Jonah's not, Jonah's not ending up there. Like, Jonah, Jonah's not getting there. Like, the people are going to, people reading this in the Hebrew would have, would have known that, like, oh, that's interesting. He's, he's not going to get there. The boat's going to get there. Those people are going to get there. Jonah's just going towards Tarshish, right? And, um, and sometime in our lives, we have things that we think we're heading to, but God just says we're heading towards, right? Um, like that it's not in our plan, or we, we, have, we make these plans, right? We make plans in our lives, and we think we're heading to something, but God says, no, maybe I'm bringing you toward that, but your plans might change. Or you say, like, God, like, losing my job, this wasn't part of my plan, or are these financial troubles I'm going through, or, or this sickness is not part of my plan, but um, God's going to lead us somewhere else. See, God is not obligated to work according to your agenda. The truth can be, then uh, this can be, like, frustrating, but I think this morning uh, we can also find hope in that. Because I know 22-year-old, 18-year-old, 16-year-old Caleb, he has some d- dumb plans. Like, 16-year-old Caleb was going to go play college football. Didn't matter that I couldn't gain weight or that I was slow. Like, 16-year-old Caleb, he had some plans. Um, but I don't, I'm not the sovereign creator of the universe. So, so I think while that's frustrating when we say, man, God, I thought I was heading this way, but you're leading me somewhere else, we got to just trust in the Lord and trust that he knows better. So in, in Jonah's case, him running, if that was his plan, then Nineveh wouldn't have repented. Right? Then these people would have been destroyed. And we see it time and time again that, and hopefully in your lives you see it too, right? that God has been faithful. God has been faithful up to this point. I mean, I feel like if you're in this building, if you're, if you're still a believer, right, then you've seen God be faithful in your life. Like you've seen God work. And when we should be able to say, all right, God, I know this isn't my plan. I know this isn't my agenda, but I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to trust that. I'm going to trust where you're heading me towards. Um, Romans 11 says, um, who knows the mind of our God? Who can bring counsel to him? Right? How, his ways are unscrutable, like that we can't critique them. Um, and if God has shown himself faithful in the past, then we know that he's got it figured out. So God is bigger than we think. But uh, a, a point I really want to hang out on here that I think all of Jonah's trying to make is that God is working in places that we don't expect. So God is working in places that we don't expect um, and in people we don't expect, we're going to see. Um, I always use movie illustrations. So I have the microphone, so I'm going to do that again. Um, there's this... There's this um, I guess it's a technique that, that screenwriters use, that writers of movies use, that's called um, saving a cat, is, is the phrase they use. Um, and when, when you save a cat, what that's saying is that there's this trick of the trade that they do in movies, and really in all storytelling, where in the beginning of a story, you will have a character do something that's like nice, like saving a cat, where we know, oh, this is someone I can root for. So the exa- I think the best example is in the movie Aladdin, Hopefully, maybe that's a movie we've seen, um, where Aladdin is this guy who lives on the street, and he lives with his little monkey friend, Abu, and they go around, and they're stealing food because they're poor, and in the beginning of the movie, he's, he's stealing this bread, and he's running from the authorities, and he's singing this cute song, um, and at the end, he sits down, and him and Abu are going to eat their bread, and up to this point in Aladdin, 
all we've seen is this guy who steals bread from this poor bread owner and who runs from the authorities. At this point, Aladdin doesn't seem like a great guy. But while Aladdin has his bread, he looks over and there are these two kids who are like digging through the trash trying to find something to eat. So Aladdin looks at the boo, breaks the bread, and he gives it to these kids. So then, so what that does in our minds is we see, oh, Aladdin, okay, he steals bread, but he doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. He's helping these, these kids out. Um, so it's a way that we see this is someone that, that we like, that we should be rooting for. And all throughout Jonah, we have people we don't expect saving cats all over the place. They're, they're doing these things that we don't expect. And, and big time in uh, chapter one here is these sailors, these pagans who don't follow God, who are these rough, like probably blue-collar guys who live on the sea, away from families or anything like that. These are probably some rough guys who worship different gods, but we see them acting in a way that's more righteous than Jonah a prophet of God. So let's, we're going to read through just the rest of chapter 1 here, actually. So we're reading verses 4 through 17. Um, got it. All right. So it says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind. So this is after Jonah's runaway. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and they each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought or give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast, cast lots that we may know on whose account the evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. And that's in all caps, so we know that is the proper name of God. I, I fear Yahweh. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made this sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, because he had told them. And he said to them, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, or innocent blood, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. All right, so what I want us to see here. Um, is this progression that the sailors go on. Remember, our point here is that God works in places and people that we don't expect. So you, you may notice in the beginning here, they come to Jonah who's sleeping down, uh, down below deck, and they say, call out to your God. Maybe your God will save us. Just general God. Call out maybe that God that you serve, who is no different than my God, right? Your God, call out to your God, and maybe he'll save us. And then once they find out what Jonah's done, 
you see this transformation, right? They, they don't call out just to some God. They call out specifically Yahweh, the God of Israel, creator of heaven and earth. Pagans don't do that, right? Pagans, pagans don't call out to uh, the God of Israel, right? But they call out to him and they end up offering sacrifices. So this progression that they go on, and even look at um, their prayer. It says, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Here are the pagans saying, God, you have freedom to do whatever you want. You do as it pleases you. How different is this from the prophet who's on their boat? Who says, God, you have, I know what you want to do, but I don't want to do that, so I'm going to run away. Right? So the pagans here have said, God, you have freedom to act in whatever way you want. But Jonah, Jonah doesn't say that. Jonah doesn't do that. Um, even, even the fact, like they don't even want to throw him overboard. He says, throw me overboard. And they say, no, we'll keep trying. We don't want to kill you. Um, even though they know, like, this is the way that they can stop this, this, uh, uh, this storm. So the, the, the pagan sailors are seen just in this chapter as way superior to Jonah, way superior to the prophet of God. Um, and this is supposed to, to teach Israel something. So remember, way back how we're going to, we're reading this as a parable, we're reading it kind of like in the way that it's supposed to challenge the people of Israel. Um, and time and time, the minor prophets call out Israel for thinking they all have it, have it all figured out because they're God's people. But Jonah is showing us that the other, those other people that, are, that we're see, we see as enemies are not beyond saving. In fact, God, is, God seems to be at work in these groups while the chosen prophet and the chosen people can be totally outside of God's will. So I really appreciated Herbert's, uh, his point he made last week. He was talking about, um, it was, oh, how a disciple must steward his speech. So he said how he must steward his speech, and he talked about the way that on face, Facebook or social media, how we demonize those people who are in other groups that are different from our own. And it's not just on social media, but just in speech in general. The way that we talk about people who are made in the image of God is sometimes disgraceful. And, and totally myself included. We see that we see you guys are on that other team, so therefore we have written them off. All right? And I think Jonah wants a big message of Jonah is that we can't write anybody off. If God wants to work in Nineveh, he can work in Nineveh. If he wants to work in the hearts of, of these sailors, he can work there. Um, and when we fail to see the kingdom of God as bigger than our own you know, political or national denomination, like identities, then we fall into what Jonah's doing and what Israel is doing. Right? So this demonization is often derived when we elevate those other identities. When we elevate our political views or national views or denomination, those are just the ones I'm thinking of. When we elevate those above Scripture. Because when Scripture is not informing the way that we treat people than our culture is. So we, so we can write off entire views or entire groups of people when we neglect our identity as followers of Jesus. This is, what, this is what Jonah is reminding us here, that God can work in those other groups that we've written off. So um, I want to show us this idea in one, in one other place. Because um, it actually this one is not completely unique to, to Jonah, but in Amos. Amos 9, 7. Just one verse. It says this. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt 
and the Egyptians from Kaftor and the Syrians from Kerr. So I hope we can get what's going on here because this is a, a very interesting passage. It says, we know about the Exodus. We know that God brought Israel out of Egypt and, and there's a lot written about that, right? But God says, actually, I'm working in places that not only you don't expect, but you don't even seem to know about. Like in the same way that I've worked in, in your nation, he's actually at work in the hearts of the enemies. He, he said, I brought the Philistines who are the sworn enemies if anyone is written off as enemies of God and people that cannot follow God, it is the Philistines. And, and Amos here, and I think Jonah points to the same idea, that, um, that God can be at work in those places that we don't expect. Right? And um, so, so we can't let our tribes that we have dictate who is worthy of the gospel. Right? Who, who can be saved or not? And, and I also, like, side by side with that, I don't think we can let, we can't let, our tribes or, or our, our views in other areas talk about what issues we deem are important, all right? So for some reason, um, this would be an interesting thing to study. For some reason, the front door into evangelical Christianity is what do you believe about abortion and what do you believe about, uh, like, gay rights? So for some reason, those, that's the front door. And, and while I totally have, I think, orthodox views on those two issues— um, why do we let culture determine what we care about? Why do we let culture choose the battlegrounds that we're going to battle on? Because like when I'm reading this book, if I just go and read the, read the words of Genesis or read the words of Jesus, he talks about loving his enemies. And for some reason we say, look, the front door is abortion and gay rights, and if you don't believe what we believe by that, then you need to get out. Um, but we say loving your enemies is optional. We say that, um, we say that practicing your righteousness in secret, what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that when we pray, you pray in secret. When you, when you fast, don't sound a trumpet. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. And we say that stuff, it's, it's, it's important, I guess, but that's not, that's not the front door. For some reason, if you go on a church website and you click on what we believe, every, we have it. Every, every website or every church website has it. If you click on what we believe, it's going to have a lot of important stuff, I think. But the problem, I think, is that we have elevated some of these things to the point where we neglect clear teachings of Scripture. Like, I love it. Jimbo says this all the time. I've heard him say it. Maybe not all the time. But he said it to me a few times. He says, what if we just had this book? Like, what, what if we weren't influenced by culture? And what if we just had this book? How would that shape the way that we do church and the way that we treat people? Because I think it would be a non-negotiable to love our enemies, to show grace to people who, um, who don't deserve it in the same way that grace has been shown to us. Like, those are things, I think, that are really clear in Scripture that sometimes we say, well, that's not as important as these other really hot issues. So I want to I challenge us this morning to, um, to not, only, not only let our culture dictate or to not let culture dictate who's in and out, but to not let culture determine the conversations that we have and the things that we view as important. We need to let this book determine what are the important issues that we need to focus on. And I do believe we still, I mean, abortions, these are huge issues, of course, but we can't, we can't neglect loving our enemies. Like that's, that's always my go-to example because that's what I see on Facebook is I see no one loving their enemies. I see people 
being combative. And, and people that say, man, I follow Jesus. I'm at church on every Sunday. And somehow I walked an aisle and, and when I was six years old. And since I've done that, I'm good with Jesus. But I don't do anything that Jesus says to do. Like that's, that's a problem, church. Um, so I want us, the, I mean, and, and this could be the point of, this could be the application piece of every sermon ever preached. Let this determine what you're going to live your life for and what you're going to focus on. I mean, that is that essentially just narrowing down or boiling down to that. That scripture needs to be what is shaping the issues we care about and the people that we care about, which the Bible seems to be clear um, is everybody. We, we are to love our enemies. We are to love um, any group of people who even seems written off um, by our you know, political systems or anything like that. Um, what if this book was all we had? All right. So um, if that was the case, then if this book was all we had, then I think Christians would be able to say, all right, Republicans, you guys are on board with doing away with abortion. That's a good thing. And we could say, hey, Democrats, you want to in- instill things that can um, help the poor? That's a good thing. And we could say, hey, uh, charismatic church over here who believes different things about the gifts and believe in speaking in tongues, people seem to be getting saved. So that's a good thing. So we need, to let, we need to let this shape our priorities. And, and I think what that can do is that can, that can bring us together, and we can actually unite with people we disagree with to make sure that the important things are being done. Right? And this is essentially kind of our last point, um, that we need to open our eyes. So Jonah didn't recognize um, his hypocrisy. I don't know if you caught this, but Jonah says, hey, it's because of me that you guys are in this horrible situation. Just throw me overboard, and you're going to be saved. Well, Jonah, you really seem to care about these 12 sailors a lot. What about those, those million people that live in Nineveh who are now going to get uh, judged by God when you could have been the one to have them repent? Right? So Jonah, Jonah doesn't recognize his hypocrisy. Um, and I pray this morning that we can recognize where, where we don't um, align with the heart of God. So... Two ways I think we can apply this is, um, one is get involved where God is at work, right? Get involved where God is at work. If God is at work in, in groups that maybe we don't uh, jive with or something, um, or we can at least celebrate those. So like my, my example, I think of um, the Dent Project. And I was looking, I go, we don't have a card, Chris, for the Dent Project. Okay, but we partner with them, right? We partner with the Dent Project. The Dent Project um, works in, in strip clubs and ministers to the ladies that work in there, and even the bouncers and just everyone that works in there. And, um, and I think this is a good place to start in the way maybe that we view, um, we view those places. So my, when the example I'm thinking of is as I'm driving by those, those strip clubs and any direction you go in, in this neighborhood, you're going to pass one, um, is, is my heart saying, man, the people that are walking those uh, they're, they're horrible people, and um, man, they need to get their lives right. Or is my heart breaking for them? And is my heart saying that, man, these are people that God loves and God wants to work in their lives and that are totally broken, but God would desire them to come to repentance. So even just that shift, if we can make that shift, that, that when we see brokenness like that, our heart needs to break, right? And, and I, I mentioned Dent Project because his Dent Project is this they, they are at work in those horrible places. Okay, so um, 
we can't say that, oh, God's not doing anything there, which clearly there's, there's, they're not doing Bible studies in there, right? So it's, there's clearly maybe like more sin going on there than, than Bible studies or things going on. But, but there are people, there are boots on the ground in those strip clubs who we need to be praying for. And, and if you can, if you can work with them, that'd be great. Or you can, um, there are, I know there are a lot of different opportunities. We just had something where some men were able to serve, um, them while they had like a dinner or a meeting, um, but God is, God is working in places we don't expect. And we, we, can, we can pray, we can go. Um, but what we can't do is say, is write off those people and write off those groups. Um, because we exist to, to redeem the, the church with a capital C and the community with the gospel, right? So capital C means not just our church, but anywhere that the kingdom of God is being advanced, anywhere that the gospel is being preached. We want to work alongside those brothers and sisters. And that's why I like our, the ministry model here. Like we have, the, we have the cards on the front and back where we've said, hey, where's God working? And rather than us starting these whole new ministries here, we can just say, take a card. Let's get involved. And let's just let's latch on to where God is already working. Um, so, so I think that's the first way that we can apply this, that we can, um, we can get involved where God is at work. And the second thing is that we can um, change our perspective of the other, change our perspective of those other groups. Um, so it's the kind of same idea I was saying with, with the Dent Project. But I, I, I do want to look at one more verse here um, from 1 Corinthians 6. And I think this is a, this is a pivotal verse in the, way that we, in the way that we engage the world. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 13. I added it last minute, Cheryl. Should be on there though. Or two, five. First Corinthians five. That's my bad. All right. Um, she's like, what? okay. Um, all right. It says this: For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So this is when there's there are these um, sexual sins going on um, in Corinth and. And Paul is speaking to, um, speaking to the sins that they have going on in their church. And he says, man, we need to, don't worry about the people outside the church. God is going to judge them. What you need to do is you need to hold the people inside the church to a higher standard. And, and the people that you need to judge are those people that are inside the church. And, and we love, the most quoted verse probably of all time is, uh, hey, only God can judge. Or what, um, judge not lest you be judged. Paul says, if you're in the church... You're going to get judged. You need to, by your other b- brothers and sisters in Christ, who can hold you accountable, who can hold you to the high calling that we've been given. Right? So, so what I want us to do is, is to change our perspective. Because what we do sometimes is we flip it. Right? We say we don't hold our Christian brothers and sisters to a high standard because, like I said, because they pray to prayer and they say that they're good with God. But if, if there's no fruit in their lives, we need to call that out. And, and, and so we flip it, like we don't judge the church, but we judge the people outside the church. And God says, look, they're going to pay for their sin if they're outside of God's will. Like, don't worry about that. What you need to do is judge those inside and make sure that you guys inside are held to a high standard. And that's why we talk about today, let's, let's love our enemies. Let's focus on these things that God says are important, that Jesus seemed to talk about a whole lot. Let's hold our brothers and sisters to that high standard. And let's treat the other and those outside of our, um, outside of our views, 
in a way that would bring them to repentance. Like, Brad, the, the scripture says that it's the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. And as the feet and hands of Jesus, that we, we can extend that kind, the kindness of God. We can show the love of Christ to those in the world. And, and they can come to repentance through that love. All right? Um, we're going to pray, and we're going to have some, some time of response here in a second. Um, and if you're not involved in any, any, any ministries here at this church, then we, these cards, they're not going away. Right? We had, we had that, the sermon on our hands uh, about service, and I, I thought they were going to be gone the next week. But I love that they're still here, right? That it's not too late. Get involved with something God is doing. Get involved with something that these are, these are things that Chris and Jimbo and our elders and leaders have said. These are ministries that we really believe in, and we think they're doing great work. So if maybe you weren't here that week, um, or maybe you grabbed eight cards and you got kind of overwhelmed, um, but this is a chance to partner with what God is doing in the world and also to, to check our own hearts and make sure that we um, have not written people off, but that we um, are extending the grace that we've been shown in Christ. All right, so let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I pray that even now, just in my own heart, that um, you would fill me just with the love of Christ, God. Fill me with um, your love so that it can be poured out just on the world, God, in, in the way that, that you have called us to love. God, um, you have extended grace to us, so we must extend grace to others. So right now, God, I pray that um, you would show me more, show me more and more where you have shown me that grace, that that would flow out. God, I pray that for, for this church, that we would just understand the gospel. We would understand the price you paid and understand um, exactly what you've done for us. And God, that that would just translate into worship and translate into, into lives that are transformed. God, I pray that now that you would, you would work in someone's heart, maybe someone who hasn't been involved in your mission and hasn't been involved in, in, in seeking to see people come to redemption. God, I pray that, that you would work in their hearts now. We pray this in your name. Amen.